0: Seven Kingdoms of Podcasteros? Can Jen defeat the terrifying army of technical difficulties marching beyond the wall? And what kind of nudity can we expect from this episode, hmm? Like, just the tops? Or will it be full frontal? Find out today on the season finale of Two Girls, One Throne! And now here are the first of their names, queens of the Twitter handle. Breakers of signal chains and mothers of bagels, Allison Goldberg and Jennifer Jamula.
1: Welcome to Two Girls, One Podcast I'm Jen
2: (laughs) And that music is epic as fuck Every time (laughs) Honestly, I don't know that Quite enough cred is given to movie And TV Uh, Any of it
1: all Any, of The it. people
2: who the people who write that fucking music.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> what are they called? Those the music writers.
2: Fucking the arrangers. Music
0: writers. The
2: musicians. I mean, like, I read all five Game of Thrones, and if every time I opened the book that had played, I would have been into it.
0: <laughs> you know
1: what though? What the fuck is your name, dude? <laughs> I'm Allie. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Who's this other person in the room too?
3: Hey, I'm uh, Matt. Doesn't
1: matter. <laughs> Matt Tur. His name is Matt.
3: Correct. Credit where credit is due. Love composers, but you know that theme music was written by algorithms and bots. Come on, it's 2019, guys.
2: Oh my God, do I you mean... think so? Do you think somebody composed no, it on no. their iPhone? <laughs> uh... No, but that music is fucking epic. Does it remind anyone else of the Westworld opener? Do you think it was written by the same
1: people?
3: It it was same composer. I, I forget oh. uh, their name, but yes,
1: nailed Speaking it. Of people who make stuff for Game of Thrones, that's what we're mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about today. Today's gonna be fucking epic. Talking about epic as fuck. We've said fuck a lot um in this opening. Apologies. Um but no apologies.
3: I'm listening at work, so if you could cool it, that'd be great. Good
1: good thing you work from home.
3: This podcast (laughs) is our
1: work. That doesn't make sense. But okay. Today, guys, we're talking to a well known linguist who created languages for Game of Thrones, Dothraki and Valyrian. Are you all excited?
2: Yeah, Game of Thrones. So specifically, because uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, we interview communities and crazy shit from the internet. So these languages, you can now learn them online. And in fact, High Valyrian is offered on Duolingo, which is amazing and fascinating and kind of ridiculous. There's a bunch of platforms where you can go online and learn fake languages. Why don't you fucking <laughs> learn Spanish
1: first, guys? Well, I'm curious to know how people are using these languages, planning to use them. I mean, these languages are like dead languages on a TV show. Well, at least one of them is. Hi, Valerian. So are people actually going to start conversing with each other in this way? Like, what what would be the use of learning this these languages?
2: I feel like at fan conventions, for sure, they're going to start. <laughs> but we'll have to ask. Oh, shit. I think people just like, especially between seasons, they fall down these massive wormholes of like, they can't wait for it to come back on. And they're on the wikis and they're on the forums and they're guessing what's going to happen next and who's going to be the king or queen of westeros and whatever whatever so yeah then they learn the language <laughs> <laughs> then they um, end up there why didn't i learn any curses in dothraki before this
1: episode yeah what, what was is I the equivalent thinking? of is it fukiju no. Fikiju,
2: that was Esperanto, guys Check that other episode
1: <laughs> Today we're talking to David J. Peterson And I don't know if you guys saw this But I read in an interview with him That he became interested in constructing languages Through Esperanto um, That it was like attending Ooh. a course or a class on that So we'll have to find out if that's actually true
2: Yeah Well, I think it's really cool because a lot of our listeners may have assumed, and I think I did at one point, I'm sure I did at one point, that like, you know, they make up some words for the scripts and that's that. But these languages are actually fully constructed so that they are grammatically, linguistically correct, what have you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, so he's busy constructing the language, um, you know, and languages, they're kind of big. So (laughs) I I think...
0: (laughs) I think I saw,
2: High Valyrian is up to like 2,000 words.
1: Yeah. I saw this. Um, maybe you guys saw it, this interview with David on The Daily Show. And he was talking about how he creates what he calls naturalistic languages. So, like, if you looked at it, it would it would feel, like, real. Um, and that when he is creating the language, he wants to create a history for the language so that it feels like he said, quote, a well-worn shoe. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll be interested to see Yeah, like... All of the considerations, like, like, you know, like you were just saying, it's not just vocab.
2: So much of language is tied into culture, right? Like if you decide, like, I remember, um, oh, don't, isn't it like the Eskimos, they have like seven different words for snow, you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like so many linguistic choices then mean that you are setting certain kinds of history for that culture, right? Because the whole thing's made up. But if you decide that the Dothraki have like eight words for sword, you're saying something about their culture. Mm-hmm. You're probably Or maybe for, correct.
3: Maybe for horse. Uh, we'll we'll yeah. find out from David. Yeah. Uh, this is the nerdiest and greatest. It, like all these questions that you're asking about linguistics and fictional worlds. Good Lord. This is my jam, guys. Love it. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, sit down. I'm, it's your, jam. Not your, I'm your jam. It's mat. not your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sit down. Well, we should
3: First of all, we should show, and by show I mean here, uh, what languages we're talking about. Obviously game of thrones is just the biggest hit ever and i'm sure most of the listening audience is familiar with the show and perhaps the books um so a couple things i don't think we're going to talk too much about plot in this episode no but spoilers like,
2: everybody spo- dies
3: well i'm saying spoiler alert like we sometimes may-
2: they come back to life though <laughs>
3: I'm setting a spoiler warning because we may talk about characters and cultures that are relevant to plot. So if you're still catching up on Game of Thrones and you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening. But secondly, let's hear some Dothraki and Valerian. uh, We should should play it for the listeners so they they can really hear and feel what these languages sound like. Are you guys ready?
2: Yes.
1: Yes.
3: Here's a taste of
4: what's coming up on Inside Trader Joe's.
1: (laughs) Why do you shop at Trader Joe's? (laughs) Because you have the most variety. I actually remember you guys when you guys just had like nuts and cheeses.
3: I thought it was brave of Trader Joe's to record their entire podcast in Dothraki. I, I wish think it was everyone cool. could it was see trendy. me shaking my
2: head, but they can't. Jen, did you holler fikiju during that?
1: Yes, twice. Because I, I was into that. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah. like, did Trader Joe's ever just have nuts and cheeses? Does anybody remember yeah, a time when, when was that was that? true? The nut and cheese also, Trader Joe's.
2: Wh- yeah. Were they just like a bodega or just like a cart?
1: Like that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. You, all right here, here's the
3: real here's the real languages uh, this is high valerian uh, this is uh, daenerys who speaks this language uh, she is speaking it to uh, a very emphatic speech to the to the slaves and citizens of a city that she's about to free from bondage i believe <laughs>
0: Cityman,
4: Astropotistan.
0: AstroPot Dohetrosa. Diary.
3: Diary. So I believe here she's she's shouting about uh, the other cities that she the slaves that she freed in her in her quest here i
1: love that it sounds like italian and russian had like a super hot baby you know like that language (laughs) it it definitely sounds romantic but it's also and
2: speaking of super hot babies she looks just like our employee emily (laughs) who's a super hot baby (laughs) Uh uh-huh
1: they look alike. Huh. Um, it's amazing how you can feel that language inside of you when she's speaking it. Like, I'm getting, like, all these badass expressions on my face. I'm, like, making gestures.
2: <laughs> well, she's being a badass as a thing. I'm wondering if it's derived from romance languages or what. Like, there's got to be some kind of base that he uses.
1: For sure. Do you got some more? Right. And then,
2: like... Dothraki? Is it like is he basing that off Semitic languages? Because that's kind of what it sounds like. So
3: here's a clip of Dothraki. This is being spoken by Dothraki writers who have captured Daenerys, and they don't realize that she also speaks Dothraki because if you understand the plot of the show, uh, she's been through this uh, this rodeo before. So here's that. <laughs> and prisoners
0: fee to commit it through. tickingル 还没法 means
3: that she could living forest then the German king in the country crossed my hand even I have no temples <laughs> that you protect me because I feel So yeah, it's hard without subtitles when we're in audio form, but basically they're talking a bunch of shit about her uh, and deciding what to do with her. And she's like, fuck you guys. You don't know who I am. I am... I'm I'm the shit and I speak your language so back the fuck off
1: what a cool way to, to take on a character to live inside of a language like that like I found when I speak another language I spoke French for a lot of years like a different part of my identity comes out so I imagine when those actors speaking that language must feel like they're from those places even though it's a completely made up language it creates an identity for them that's so cool
2: yeah no that also just meant, that just kind of like blew my mind because I'm like oh people who speak multiple languages do so they have slightly different personalities in each
1: yeah, yeah.
2: Because I, I kind of agree with your statement. But also, uh, you know, you said the first one sounded like, um, what did you like Italian and Russian? Yeah. And I feel like this one was like Arabic and Russian. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you heard some like back of the throat sounds or something that felt a little... Yeah, yeah. but then
2: also like some rolled R's. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a linguist. Yeah. <laughs> I know that comes as a big surprise to everyone.
1: <laughs> not We're, a linguist. We'll, f- we'll
3: find out from the source, but I, I think you guys are spot on. Valerian in the show is... is, is like a dead language for scholars, uh, equivalent to Latin. So obviously inspired by romance languages and such. Uh, And Dothraki, I think there is Arabic. uh, There's an Arabic baseline in there. I believe the Dothraki are like desert people. And so these are all the cultural things that feel right to our ears uh, and that David incorporated.
1: I can't wait. Uh, Matthew of trivia. Can we get that out of the way? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Let's do it. I got some trivia for you. Today's episode is about the fictional languages from Game of Thrones, and today's trivia is about another esoteric language that is notoriously difficult to understand. Perhaps you guys have heard of it. It's called English. As we know, languages evolve and change for a variety of cultural reasons. That's what we were just chatting about. Uh, For example, did you know that the original English word for bear, the animal bear, is completely lost to time. We have no idea what bears were called before the word bear replaced it. What? Why did that happen? I have three choices. Why was, the word,
1: why was it replaced?
3: Correct. Okay. A. Bears were venerated as godly animals by barbarian tribes in Northern Europe, and speaking their true name was forbidden. So they invented the word bear as a respectful way to refer to the animal and that eventually stuck. Choice B, people were so afraid of bears that they, they thought that saying the real name of the animal would summon it or anger it, so they would only speak the euphemism bear instead to stay safe, and eventually bear replaced the word. That's choice B. Or C, a medieval clan known by the animal's true name was defeated in battle, and their shame was so widespread that even referring to the animal by the clan's name was too embarrassing. So the euphemism of the bears replaced it for the clan and eventually replaced it for the animal.
1: The bears. That's what I was thinking the whole time. That's that's awesome. Um, I'm going to go with C. I feel... I feel good about C. I'm
2: also going with C. Those are all crazy and all like weirdly plausible, but I'm going to go with C because we're talking about like modern English replaced a word.
3: Uh, If it matters, I wouldn't say modern English, like, you know, Shakespearean English went back and revised history. It's more that there was a time where something happened and people stopped saying the real word and just started saying bear. And eventually we forgot the real word, if that matters to you.
2: Yeah, but what's your definition of real word?
3: The original word, the original word. The original
2: english word
3: we english speakers used to call bear you know fukiju and they stopped doing that for some reason why did they right. stop and they I'm started using c. bear you going with c, c, c sticking c. with yep. c c and c we will find out the correct answer after the break c.
0: From the website where
1: Banksy always hawks his new projects, Craigslist. I made this 3D piece using various candy wrappers and old defunct magic markers, watercolor, old pen ink, ribbon, red art piece, metallic mixed media unique collage. Color is everything and everywhere to me. That is
0: why I use anything, could be an arbitrary jashka with the color I'm looking for to build my pieces. 11 by
1: 15, $50, cash only, pick up only, Midtown west. Oh, w- would you pay $50? I-, I might.
0: I don't know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure.
3: <laughs> it's weird because she paid... 2023 20, I mean, after the the taxes and the fees, like twenty three k for the that spot. Ad. Yeah, and she's selling it. I mean, if there's only one, that's a terrible that's a ROI bad, yeah, on yeah, the ad. Bad margins. Yeah.
2: Um, Matt will not stop fucking talking about all this money he's pulling in from ads,
1: and I've never seen a dime.
3: <laughs> you should uh, should check your bank account. Maybe oh talk god. to your accountant. Oh
1: my god, I get a, I get I a check for Matt for like five cents, like every five. To six yeah months. that math doesn't <laughs> add up
3: That's well that's just licensing fees <laughs> oh, okay. to like use your likeness and your your audio likeness uh-huh. in the in the show. Uh, you don't make a lot of money from that. It's mostly the ads uh, and that should be direct deposit to you guys. I don't know if why you're not seeing we that
2: We're really really entertaining our listeners now. <laughs> Let's get that trivia answer.
3: Oh okay. Today's trivia was about um, a silly language uh, called English uh, and a particular word known as uh, bear. Uh, Bear was not the original name of the animal bear. The original word is completely lost to linguists and historians, apparently. Uh, Why did this happen? We had three choices. A, bears were venerated as gods, and you could not say their real name out loud, according to Northern European tribes. Uh, B, people were so afraid of bears that they were afraid to even say the word Uh, So they made up bear instead as a euphemism or C a medieval clan called de bears or (laughs) the previous version uh, Was defeated and the shame was so embarrassing That people stopped talking about their name and invented the word bear uh, Instead Uh, you guys both went with C
1: feeling right. I'm feeling medieval today Mm -hmm.
3: Okay, all right.
2: It's very on brand actually because Game of Thrones is like kind of medieval. Yeah. Yeah,
3: sure Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's all about bears. Uh, If you haven't seen the show, it's about a bunch of bear tribes fighting. Families
2: of Uh, bears. Yeah. Yeah. Mother of bears.
3: Correct. Uh, The correct answer is B, the fear of bears.
2: Ah! I just threw my microphone. I didn't. I knew I'd get in trouble if I did that. This is bullshit. B for bullshit. But Matt, they
3: were
1: also plausible. So well done. (laughs)
3: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. According to author Ralph Keyes, who wrote a book about how euphemisms change language, which is a fantastic, uh, interesting show in and of itself, uh, the word Bruin was a euphemism that means the brown one. So people in Northern Europe were so freaked out by bears and bear attacks that they would only say the brown one, Bruin, out loud, Uh, for fear of like angering bears or summoning bears. Uh, People stopped saying the real word so much that Bruin became the de facto for the animal. Bruin eventually evolved into the modern word bear. And the actual English root of this word uh, is gone forever. We don't know it. Hmm. And I thought that was pretty cool. That's
1: cool. Bruin also evolved into a Boston sports team.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to add to that, that's, that is a fact. Yeah. Um,
1: that's, I'm glad that's you really put cool. that in there because I don't know anything
2: about sports. I know nothing, John Snow. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Is it time? I think we need to get into it. Yes, it is time. I'm looking at my watch right now. I know you guys are chomping at the bit because we have a really good one today. And on top of having David J. Peterson, the linguist of from Game of Thrones and various other places, with us today, we're also pulling a, a surprise on uh, another guest who is currently learning High Valyrian, and she doesn't know that she's about to meet David on the show. So dude, let's just let's go. Are you excited, guys? Yes. Pumped. <laughs> All right, friends, GOT fans, it is time for us now to speak with the linguist David J. Peterson. Welcome, David.
4: <laughs> Thank you for having me. Kirimbose, as we say in Valyrian.
1: David. Can you say hi to Jen
2: in High Valyrian and then to me in Dothraki? Because I'm kind of like the wild one and she's like a little more civilized.
4: (laughs) (laughs) You bet. Here. Riza's genus. Macho maroon jali.
2: Nice. Did anyone else get a little turned on or was that just me?
4: (laughs) Same, same.
1: (laughs) Okay. Yeah, me too, in that case. Uh, (laughs) So let's take it way back, David. um, Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to create languages?
4: (laughs) Well, when I went to college, I had a very specific plan in mind. I came in as a declared English major. I was going to finish majoring in English and prove my writing, I was a fiction writer, that I was going to get my credential and teach high school English, and then in the summer I would write fiction. It was a very clear plan. I had it for quite some time.
2: Are your parents really proud that instead of living in poverty and being a high school teacher, you're working for the HBO hit series, Game of Thrones?
4: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, kinda. Uh, (laughs) I feel
2: like mine would be very happy.
4: <laughs> it, it's 50 it's 50 50 and honestly it's 50, like one 50 parent is in too. one parent is out <laughs> well my mother we come from a teaching family okay uh, every, a long line of teachers uh and it's something that still really calls to me uh to be a teacher and you know i have i have you know periodically here and there i've i've always been connected to education i always will be um so there's there's always that part of it where it's like you know yes i'm doing this but i probably could be a, a pretty darn good English teacher. Um, you know, if I, if I gave it the time, but we you know, believe this, it. this is working, this is working for now. So that's, that's <laughs> yeah. fine.
2: And you are teaching, but we'll get to that in a moment. So I interrupted sure. your story as usual. Okay. So you were, you had this big plan and then what happened?
4: Well, I was very interested in language. It's something that came on very late. Uh, just when I was a junior in high school, I suddenly literally woke up one morning and decided I wanted to learn every language on the planet. And so um, I didn't know how many there were. I figured there were probably about 100. Uh, I had no idea there was almost 7,000. But, you know, that was, it suddenly, instantly became my goal. And I started studying languages on my own. I I added German my final year of high school, in addition to AP Spanish. Then, when I got to college, uh, to UC Berkeley, you know, I was taking my English major classes, but I had a bunch of free credits that I could do whatever I wanted with. And I saw that Berkeley had over, literally over 50 language offerings, some of them quite obscure. And I was like, well, I know what I'm doing with my free credit." So I just started taking language classes. I took Arabic my first semester, then the second semester I took the second semester of Arabic, the first semester of Russian, and the, smer- the first uh, semester of a class called uh, Esperanto. It was a student-taught class, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever encountered a language that had been created, you know, intentionally by humans. Uh, Esperanto was a language that was created in 1887 uh, to foster international communication. Uh, it was so-so on that goal. But um, anyway, so I took that class and I was like, oh, this is cool. People can create languages. I never thought of that before. The next semester, my mother insisted that I take uh, linguistics. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. Um, and when I heard what it was, that it was the scientific study of language, Uh, I was immediately totally uninterested because I was like, what's the point of this? You study all these languages abstractly and you never learn them. I don't get it. But I took it anyway because it fulfilled a breadth requirement. And basically after a single day, I was totally hooked. It was amazing. It was really fun. It was really easy compared to English. And so I was like, yes, I am all in for this. Um, Anyway, about a month in, Uh, After studying all these different languages and different phenomena that different languages did in linguistics, I thought, you know, it would be so cool if I could create a language that did all the stuff I liked, you know. Um, And the key moment for me was deciding, you know, if I just created this, I wouldn't have to have it compete with Esperanto and have everybody on the planet learn it. I could just do it for myself, just for fun. And so the moment I thought of that, I started creating my first language, and and that was it. I was hooked. I kept up with it while it continued to be fun, which is uh, 19 years and counting so far. Half my life, actually. Half my life.
2: And what became of that language? Yeah,
1: what was that called, that language?
4: Oh, boy. So... um,
2: is it This first
4: language, oh yeah, of course, that was it. <laughs> Never even heard of that. <laughs> so uh, my first language uh, was uh, it was a, it was a really bad language. By by default, your first language is always bad because I mean that's just that's just what's going to happen. You don't know what you're doing, and so it's just a gigantic mess. Um, but that first language was called Megdavy. To give you a little bit of background on that my name is david i had a girlfriend at the time ma- named megan and so i
2: just
1: threw up in my mouth it, it was a love language yeah
4: Made davy okay it, it was it was a disaster it's um, the musical equivalent
3: of the of your first song yeah
1: right <laughs> david how many languages have you created at this point
4: oh easily over 50 um wow. so yeah a lot i would created 17 by the time i started working on game of thrones
2: so you're, so are you more fascinated in how, I suppose, in the construction of languages and studying kind of those rules?
4: Yeah, I think that's a very, a, pre, <laughs> a, a very prescient insight, actually. Um, and it's something that I think a lot of people don't understand about language creators and, and linguists. They're like, you know, oh, you must speak a bunch of languages. Like, well, actually, I'm more interested in just learning how they work. It's fun, you know? Um, yeah, that's really, I mean, that's really the whole thing about it. Ultimately, language is just a system, right? And so it's kind of like, you know, people that are really big into, into video games or tabletop or, or board games, like anything like that, or building cars, it's all the same stuff. It's just a system, right? And that's kind of what interests you.
2: So what are your top considerations when creating a language? Or I guess specifically, let's get into Game of Thrones. So you're tasked with creating this language where there are some clues and signs. What are the things that you had to work with and what were your major considerations in the creation?
4: Well, the the top number one overall important factor was that we were creating the languages for George R. R. Martin's books. We were creating the show for George R. R. Martin's books. So at the outset, that was always the number one goal. Create something that makes sense with respect to what you've read in the books. So for me, the obvious first step was just saying, well, what what has he done? For Dothraki, collect every single word of it, every single name that's supposed to be from Dothraki. uh, Put it all on a list. Figure out, all right, is there any kind of phonological consistency here? That is, is there a characteristic sound for this language or is it just uh, gibberish? Uh, I was very fortunate that it was uh, systematic and had a had good Had he thought of that character. when he
2: was writing it?
4: If you get it from him, he'll say it's chance and he wasn't thinking about it. But the work he did was too consistent for chance. I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily groundbreaking linguistic work, but it wasn't just a completely copying English in terms of grammar or anything like that. Uh, And B, it was completely consistent and coherent. And that just doesn't happen by accident. And we know that because just open up any other fantasy book that you just happen to come across in the bookstore, and it's garbage, at least in terms of the language. Just unmitigated, terrible garbage.
2: Really think <laughs> I, know,
4: I, I have so little. I have so little patience for that. Are
2: you contractually obligated though to say that about him?
4: <laughs> no, like I was surprised. I was expecting garbage because that's what I'd seen, um, and so I was just. I mean, uh, I perhaps it was setting the bar a little low, but I was just pleased that it was consistent, um, and then I was double pleased that the stuff that he had done wasn't directly copying the grammar of english like one simple thing to do there are lots of little phrases of dothraki where there's a modifier modifier being something like an adjective you know like black cat so the easiest thing to do is just change the words of english right and so that the modifier still comes first but he uh first of all put the modifier second and was quite consistent with that throughout all of his dothraki examples Now, if you want to go a step beyond that, um, the Dothraki language itself—it's about what you would expect somebody who has, who kind of has some vague knowledge of like Spanish, French, German—and that's about it. Um, It's within that range of variation, so it wasn't going to be something that was wildly divergent from an Indo-European language. So, uh, like, like something that came from Western Europe, and it's not. Um, it could have been something very different, but, um, even so the fact that it was consistent and not English was, was darn good enough for me.
2: Okay. So you had these clues that he had given you and then Mm. what, what were your starting points? What other like major factors did you account for when you began the process? Uh,
4: there were two things. One was I wanted to produce something that was high quality work or as high quality that I could do given the constraints. Um, because most of the stuff that, you know, had been done on TV and film was just terrible. Um, really just, I mean, just terrible, just, you know, simple, like, you know, me, Tarzan, you, Jane stuff. Um, one of two things, either just, you know, piling up, you know, little suffixes, that's completely, uh, agglutinative or, um, just, you know, one word after the other, and the words never change. So I wanted to do some inflection. And I think it was warranted based on the material that I saw in the book. It seemed like a language that would inflect. Uh, And second, I wanted to do some things that were somewhat complicated from an English speaker's perspective. And so that's doing something like adding grammatical case, um, which is changing the form of a word based on its grammatical role in the sentence. Mm -hmm. I definitely wanted to do that. And then the only other constraints were that, you know, there, this was going to be for a TV show where you can't guarantee certain things. So it was going to have to be a little vaguer than it could have been. And that's been the case with every language I've created for the most part for a show. No matter what's in the script, there are things that you cannot predict when it comes to the actual shooting. So for example, Dothraki, probably if I were doing it on my own, wouldn't have a generic word that just means horse. Instead, they would always use terms like uh, colt, mare, mustang, filly, those equivalents in Dothraki, where they're always referring to like a specific gender of horse, a Mm -hmm. specific age, um, or even a specific coloring of horse. That would be the way they would refer to horses. But I had to have a generic word in there because even if you know there's going to be horses in a scene, even if it says in the script, you know, be sure to have these color of horses. Once you actually get to filming the darn thing, they'll be like, sorry, the black horses were sick today. We got you some brown ones. I hope that's okay. (laughs) And it's like, no, that's not okay, but we're filming, you know?
3: When I watch Game of Thrones, I often find myself just staring at the TV saying, this was so hard to make for a thousand (laughs) reasons. And now you just added a layer of like, the fucking words don't even make sense because we got the wrong horses. I'm,
4: I'm having anxiety. Please
2: continue. <laughs> 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 Sit down, That's Matt. what it's
4: like. That's what it's like making a show, man, because it's a, it's like hundreds of different people all with very specific skill sets all coming together to produce something, and each one of them can all have a disaster.
2: So when you were creating languages, did you use a standard base like romance, Semitic, or nope. did you just... Okay, so you just pulled these rules like I wanted it to be to... Um...
4: Let me put it like this. Once you've created enough languages, you know what they're going to do all right especially human languages that is supposed to be a believable human language they're going to vary in a way that is much less i guess diverse than a language could possibly vary
2: have you created languages for aliens and monsters in other movies
4: oh, of course uh, so those, are those just
2: like totally nuts
4: uh it depends how alien the aliens are to be honest oh my honest. god that
2: just blew my mind okay we can't go down that wormhole as much as i want to we have too much other stuff to discuss <laughs>
4: right 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 anyway but like the idea is that uh there're certain things that you learn in linguistics um and there're certain things you learn as a language creator so you you you've been down every path before and if you even if you haven't been down it you know you know how to go down it so it's like you don't even need to refer to natural languages anymore second there are certain there are certain principles that you learn when studying a bunch of different languages. Uh, for example, kind of a weak one, but nevertheless, uh, it's, a, it's a, a tendency that we see. If you have uh, the adjective following the noun um, like it does in Spanish, chances are the object is going to follow the verb. Chances are the um, relative clause is going to follow the noun. Chances are the possessor is going to follow the noun. So these are they're not hard and fast rules they're just tendencies. And some of them are like high tendencies, like 90% of languages will do this if they do this. Others, it's like 50%. And so if you know that, as you're building out the language, you know the roadmap. You're like, all right, I made this decision, so that means this one is more likely. So, uh, and this one is really likely. So I better have a good reason if I'm not doing that one with this one. Maybe I'll just flip a coin or just decide what makes sense based on what I've created. So yeah, you don't need to refer to natural languages at all, ever. But uh, the end result should be something that falls within the range of variation for a natural human language. That's the theory, anyway.
2: That is so fucking cool. <laughs> I'm super into it. Yeah.
4: Yep. So, nice.
2: are you? Can, so, since a lot of it hasn't been created, you're saying like, oh, if I created this, then later this has to happen. Mm-hmm. Are there scenarios in which Game of Thrones creates a scene for you that really kind of creates a problem based on what you already? created does that make
4: sense (laughs) oh yeah all the time and it's not just um it's not just with the grammar of the language it's also with you know the culture for example like an early early on when they were talking about they wanted to have some background adr for um dothraki you know betting on the outcome of a fight or something and it's like i emailed back and i said you know they don't have money right like their entire (laughs) society doesn't have money this doesn't make sense I mean, it's, it's, it's got to change, you know, if you care, basically, if you care about honoring the canon of the book, because that's always a thing. You can change it if you want to, they've changed. And certainly as the seasons have gone on, they've diverged, uh, far more greatly than they did before. But, um, but yeah, every so often, you know, something shows up, but there's always a way around it. You you can get around it. Like there was a season four, there was a a line where I, they just sent it to me. I translated, I sent it back and they sent back a note saying. Can you change it so that they'll recognize Daenerys' name? Because Daenerys, since uh, it's a name that's in High Valyrian, it has to change uh, based on its grammatical function in the sentence. And so when they wanted me to translate, you stand before Daenerys Targaryen, you know, Breaker of Chains, blah, 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 before Daenerys uh, translates to Daeneron um, <laughs> Naiyot uh and so it's not dineris it's dinero that's just how mm-hmm. it translates uh, and it's a normal thing that happens in the language but they're like ah, english speakers aren't going to recognize it can we change it so i was like yeah i'll just create some sort of a funky passive basically make it so that it's daenerys was the subject in, of the sentence and so literally it, i changed the translation to you how's it's like you are sat before by Daenerys or something like that. Or like, yeah, it's just like I changed the grammar. So it's like, all right, you hear it correctly. It's just a weird ass thing to yeah. say.
1: Well, there's subtitles ah. too, right? Yeah, so why? I, <laughs> I don't know. They would see her name there. How did you take Valerian <laughs> from high to low?
4: Yeah, oh, yeah, that was just uh, that was fun. That that was I really enjoyed being able to do that. When one language you know becomes another, especially in the context of the Slavers Bay Valyrian, three things happen. One, the sounds of the language change. This just happens naturally; It happens to all languages. We just pronounce it differently over time. Uh, meanings of words will diverge slightly. Some not at all. Some quite a bit. And grammatical structures will change because it's always the same thing. Everything that like, you look at now and say, wow, that's really complicated, that bit of grammar. It probably arose because the people back then looked at another bit of grammar and said, wow, that's pretty complicated. Let's come up with some sort of a convention so that we don't have to do that. Um, it just keeps happening. Uh, so that was what I did. I applied that process to High Valerian with one added element which is that they were in the old Gisgari empire. The uh, the the people there spoke Gisgari before High Valyrian was implanted as the language of government and became the language of the land. And so there was some mixture. In other words, um, it wasn't just that the sounds gradually changed. They did, but it was the sounds gradually changed partly because the people speaking the language didn't speak it beforehand and they had a different set of sounds. Also, there were words borrowed in from Giskari. Where um, I basically had them take the Valyrian words for generic things, and keep the Giscari words for uh, elements that were very specific to their culture, um, and so that's why, like, that's why, like, the word for mother over there has no connection to the Valyrian word for mother. That mother, that word for mother, ultimately
2: came from Ghiscari. Wow. Okay. So yes. Okay, I'm sorry, my <laughs> mind is blown here. Because this, so you're also like, re- you really have to delve into the history in order to construct the languages.
4: Yeah, I mean, if you want to do it right. Yeah. Right, yeah. Do you
2: work with um, George R. R. Martin on any of this?
4: No, I, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I've communicated with him quite a bit, and quite a bit about the language. But I think saying that I work with him is. <laughs> That would be me putting on airs. No. Um, What happens is that every so often, I will email him a question, and sometimes I'll get a response, and I'm just overjoyed when I do. Uh, But, you know, he's really busy. Also, every so often, he has emailed me asking for translation help. And, uh, and I'll send him back translations immediately. He has a higher priority for me than the show does. Like if I have to make a choice, I'm doing stuff for him.
1: <laughs> do you help the actors with pronunciation? Is there an onset coach, something like that? How do they know how to speak it?
4: Uh, well, I record every line on MP3, Got it. everything okay. you've heard I've said first. And most of the time they're copying my exact pronunciation and intonation. Um, the only times where it really changes is if, um, because that's, this is something I've discovered. You read a scene and uh, a script and you imagine it in your head and then you see it and it's like, oh, well, that's totally different. Yeah. I totally misinterpreted that. <laughs> you never know. I was so confused for season five. They're talking about this scene where Daenerys like tips over a brazier, right? And there's a bunch of fire. I'm like, why don't they just step over it? <laughs> like, like, I just couldn't see it in my head. I was like, I don't get this at all. How is this any threat at all? It's like, you know, somebody like if you're at somebody's house and a lamp tips over, it's like, Oh, I'll, um, walk away. <laughs> that's really, like, I just didn't get it. I, I didn't get how this was working. And then it's like, when I saw the scene, I was like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah. They really were trapped. Oh, that's badass. All right, cool. You guys to do. <laughs> anyway. So I re- I record all the lines. They just listen to them. They repeat. There is and have been a series, uh, almost a circus of onset dialect coaches. I don't know what they do. Well,
2: because um, I know
4: they—they're they, there for the English. I—I um, I just just as long as they don't mess up my stuff, then I'm okay with them existing. But really, <laughs> I mean, no, they're not going to do a better job than I do, um, and it shows.
0: You
2: mentioned in an interview that you love that Amelia Clark speaks Dothraki with an accent, like the wrong accent, oh, yeah. because she's oh, not wow. a native yeah. speaker.
4: Right, um, and yeah, that was that was also. I mean, that was the way I recorded it too. I mean, I recorded uh, I their lines differently. So, um, but also, it was just the type of thing I made sure to make it clear. It's like, hey, don't don't knock yourself out trying to pronounce this. Just go with your kind of English speakers' mm-hmm. sense. Do it like you know, you're just giving it your best shot.
2: Yeah.
4: Um. And and that was fine. Yeah, it was great. I mean, it wasn't more. It wasn't fine. It was great. It was. It was ideal. Her not pronouncing it correctly was exactly one hundred percent the right thing to do.
3: So you're saying she could coast? She could phone it in,
4: <laughs> and she's she's not all that. I'm I'm saying that coasting was doing her job the best <laughs> way said, she well said. could.
2: <laughs> it's the details incredible. So, how much of these languages are created so far?
4: Uh, I mean, how are you imagining that you would def, you would a portion of language like what's 75% of a language in Yeah,
2: your I don't China. know. Because I assume like you haven't created the whole language and I there was that interview I think that says that you, there's about 2000 words in High Valerian maybe. I'm like how do you yeah, decide what to build next?
4: That's just words though.
2: Yeah. So so structurally you know I mean? is it complete? Yes. Interesting. Okay. So now yeah. it's deriving vocabulary that makes sense based on what else is created.
4: Yep and um the thing is that's not a job that will ever be done.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Ever. I mean there are a lot of words. It takes yeah it takes a long time to create even a single word for for one of these languages and some some words will take more time than others uh, naturally. But um it takes a lot of time to generate vocabulary and uh, just, yeah, it's, so it's about 2,000 words for Valerian, 4,000 words for Dothraki, and that's my largest ever language. Um, and 4,000 words is nothing compared to the number of words that any natural language has. Um, there's just, you know, I, and not all natural languages have the same number of words, but that doesn't mean that they're not complete, right? So um, it, it's just, uh, it's, it would take quite a bit of time to flesh out one of these languages. But I mean, the fact remains that I've worked on so many shows at this point, and then I have my own languages. Um, I will never be able to create the amount of words that I want to for each of these languages in my lifetime, Um, which is kind of, um, I guess it could be a depressing thought, but for me, it's exciting uh because it's kind of like with a game, you know, when they have those percentages, it's say you know the percent complete you are and there are people that really like to get to that 100%. Mm-hmm. But then it's like when it's done, then what? Mm-hmm. Then you mm-hmm. then you're sitting there basically faced with your mortality. It's like, <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> I'm going to die one day. Mm-hmm. With, the, <laughs> with the languages you create, they're never done. There's always something to do. And so that's that's really really cool. I mean, it's just an ongoing evolving Art project.
1: Well, it's com- uh, these languages are complete enough, obviously, that other non Game of Thrones actor people are starting to learn them <laughs> on a lot of different apps. But specifically on uh, Duolingo, we know Valyrian is on there, and people are learning it. So, you know, it's one thing to construct a language. We imagine it's a totally other thing to teach it. So, can you talk about your involvement with uh, online courses?
4: It was it was a challenge sitting down to create uh, the Duolingo for for High Valyrian. First of all, that was my first interaction with the back end of it. So there was a a, a, a not insignificant uh, technical hurdle to overcome to figure out how that even works. But then it was like I sat down. I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, like, I, you know, I have this language and I know it and it's all there. But, yeah, what's the best way to teach? Somebody? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I
2: was Pulling like, back your oh, high school <laughs> teaching dreams.
4: <laughs> yeah. And, and it's like but the thing is, like, you know. Also, I never really taught a language before. Like I've I've taught before. It's always been, you know, writing, you know, literature, things like that, or even linguistics. But like an actual language where the goal is you want somebody to be able to learn this. That was that was uh I had to sit down for a minute <laughs> <laughs> to think about how to do that. And I'll tell you the truth. I don't know if I if, if what I came up with is the best solution. <laughs> it's just <laughs> It's the one I did. (laughs) I hope they're all right with it. I hope they don't hate me when they get to that section on numbers. (laughs) Well,
1: as you know, we're going to have somebody join us soon. Who's learning Valyrian on Duolingo. So we can ask her, (laughs) Um, but we're going to surprise her. So when she, comes into this interview in a moment or two, I think, David, you know that we're not going to let her know that you're here.
4: (laughs) I will listen respectfully.
1: Great. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, can you tell us just a little bit about how you decided to, uh, how how people should begin, like, what are the first steps of learning High Valyrian, for example? What did you decide was like the first thing people should learn?
4: The way I did it was this. I figured when it comes to learning High Valyrian, there are several big hurdles, especially if you're coming from an English speaking background. One of them is going to be. I mean, there's always the the basic stuff. It's like, oh, there's new letters. How do you pronounce them? Like that's that stuff is you get with every language. But this one, you have to learn about noun cases, which you don't have um, in English. Really, the the closest we have is saying, you know, like I saw him versus I saw he. That's the closest we get in English. So I was like, okay, that's the first big hurdle. You mean how the noun so changes
2: I, based on its position in the sentence. Okay.
4: Exactly. Um, and it's not actually its position in the sentence. It's its function in the Got sentence. It. So you would say something like him, I saw not mm-hmm. he, I saw. So, um, the, the thought was there. It's like, okay, so along the, the, the course, then we want to slowly introduce them first, uh, throw the big one right off the bat that, you know, objects are going to have different forms. Start there. And once they get used to the idea of a case, introduce another, introduce another, introduce another. So it's like, all right, there's that. That was going to happen on one track. Another was that uh, there was going to be gender in this language. And not only was there going to be gender, it was not going to be gender they were familiar with. So there's no like masculine, feminine, neuter. They're abstract genders. Uh, They're actually called solar lunar terrestrial and aquatic those are the four genders cool that's a big one and it's going to be a lot of memorization so uh basically it's like i do the very basic stuff where you don't pretend gender doesn't exist and like the next big thing is like here are the four genders here are their endings um try to get used to this and then after that uh there was uh, the fact that verbs have different tenses and they agree with the subject in different ways that's Less of a big hurdle because a lot of English speakers are used to having to do that type of thing when they learn any other European language.
2: Why did you decide four genders?
4: There's a technical reason. So basically, uh, the, the four genders are a result of a cross section of two factors. One is uh, the um, thematic elements. So just the pure, like these ones take more, like, you know, ah. Uh, e stuff and the other ones this is more s n o stuff so there was that separation by just the sound of it then there was a further separation into uh, count nouns versus mass noun a count noun is something like a book you can say I have a book i have I've seen books uh, you can talk about one of them or many of them a, a mass noun is something like grass you don't really say I have uh I have like a thousand grasses in my front yard. You just say there's grass there, right? And so then two themes, mass versus count, produced four genders. And I thought, how are they going to conceptualize these things since there's no obvious thematic tie for any of these? And so I thought, well, that's where folklore explanations can come in. And they uh, chose nouns that were very prototypical of each of those genders, very basic. And came up with these oppositions. That is, the sun and the moon are count nouns. And so you can talk about one sun, two suns, and so forth. And then also, the moon and the, and the ocean, the moon and the water have a connection. And then the sun and the land has a connection. Um, and then, of course, you know, land and water, they're both mass nouns. And so that's where the names came from. It's just a way to help them learn.
2: Okay. That was a lot. <laughs> M- Minds
4: mines are seems, blowing.
2: Spanish seems a lot easier.
4: It is actually, yeah. at least in terms of
2: gender. i to learn <laughs> that one more fluently next.
1: So David, are there any online communities that you know of where people can practice together, H- practice High Valerian, for example, together?
4: You know, this has been the case ever since I started working on these shows. I tried to start up a community uh, in Dothraki, like season one for Game of Thrones. I thought it was going to be big. I thought this was going to be the next Klingon. I think it topped out at around seven members. <laughs> um, and they're all friends now. Um. They're 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 friends now. But um, it, even so, it kind of fell off. And I was like, all right, this is never really going to happen. It's never going to be as big as something like even not be from Avatar. Um, and then just like... uh uh, things really changed when i joined the hundred for the cw i created a language for that and suddenly there were actually people that wanted to learn this language and forming their own communities and making websites and everything that was the first time i'd ever seen one of these communities um and they're still very very active slack get is the best um they there's like a thousand plus people and they all chat intrigue get a slang and it's basically invisible to most people because nobody even knows about the hundred like we just got a season <laughs> seven season six is coming people don't know
3: uh well footnote for 2g1p listeners we had a fan fiction episode and our guest uh spoke very deeply and highly of the show the fan community runs real deep uh, oh yeah
2: well it's interesting that like scope of audience does not necessarily correlate to in like the fervor of an online community.
4: Exactly. Exactly. That was what I I ultimately decided or figured out about Game of Thrones, which is that, first of all, it hits a different target demographic. I mean, obviously, tons of people are watching Game of Thrones, but it's really, it's intended to be like, you know, a 20-something through 40-something show, whereas The 100 was supposed to be like, you know, a 15-something through 20-something show. You see it with George R. R. Martin's books too, I mean less of that now than there was at the beginning. But there was very much this sense that it's like, oh, it, yeah, there's dragons and stuff, but but there's also lots of sex and violence and all this stuff. <laughs> so it's really okay for me to be watching this. Um, a really kind of anti fantasy. Wait, I love like in
2: dragons it's not okay but sex and violence now it's okay for <laughs> exactly
4: <you to> <laughs> exactly what is wrong so,
2: with humanity
4: I, I think for a lot of these types of fans it was like oh we appreciate the fact that there was some real hard work that went into creating these languages but it's like learning it oh god no that's like fantasy dress up and put you know cling on foreheads on type of thing no we don't do that so i think there was a lot of that at the beginning And why there was kind of like a lukewarm reaction to the languages of of Game of Thrones. Not that people didn't like them, but that, no, they're not going to jump on board and learn them. Mm -hmm. So that was a slower build. And consequently, I kind of ignored it. And then this, like these fan communities just really sprung up overnight and really without me and without my knowledge. So you asked me, like, where do you go? I have no idea. Like I, I, this Duolingo for High Valyrian has eight hundred eighty thousand people that are actively using wow. it. That's not people who have ever used it. That's people who are actively using it. <laughs> wow. Is that what larger? Are these <laughs> Is, I don't know. Are well, about to Is be that one of them. larger than
2: some than some actual communities of language speakers? Like, are there some languages Most. in the world that have fewer?
4: Oh, ah. oh the, the oh, like uh, the yeah, like the real actually languages a, a that
2: fewer than eight hundred thousand.
4: You're talking about actual fluent speakers, yes. I thought you were talking about on Duolingo, like I'm. Uh, the, my language course is up there. <laughs> it's it's passed a lot of languages on Duolingo in terms of active users. But yeah, no, it is larger than, um, than definitely than some uh, native speaker communities uh, for a dozen really unfortunate reasons. Um, just you know, people don't respect language the way they should, and. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, this, this, this could go far afield, but it just, it really sucks that um, there's, there's somebody that grows up speaking a language and then they go into the real world and they're like, well, guess what? You can't get a job in that language, so it's useless. It's like, but that's the attitude. That's why a lot of languages are dying now, because they're not seen as economically viable. Which is just insane
2: so are you is, is there a piece of you that's kind of torn that people are learning high valerian while other real world languages are dying out no <laughs> no okay. it's,
4: they're not they're not related yeah. it's <laughs> i mean there there's no connection whatsoever between, say, like some American who probably never cared about studying any other language, who decides to start studying high valerian, and then somebody deep in the Amazon rainforest who has to learn Portuguese in order to make money. There's just no connection whatsoever.
2: Yeah. So so how did that work for you where you realized, oh, shit, there's been a boom now people are interested. Like, how did you discover these fan communities, or did Duolingo just reach out to you? And, and were they like, "Hey, did you know you got this huge following now?"
4: Oh, I just I just wanted to do it. When I uh, when I saw Duolingo, I was like, "This is the best way to learn a language, aside from literally moving your entire life to another country and immersing yourself." This is the best way to learn a language, and it's free. I can't believe somebody came up with this. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And so the first thought I was had like, God, it would be so cool if language creators could make their own courses. Then when the incubator came around, that became a reality. So, like, for me, when I got the opportunity to do High Valyrian, um, there was no question I was doing it. I didn't care if anybody used it. This, I was doing it for me. I thought it would be cool. I mean, and I also thought it would be something that would it would be like, you know, hey, check this out. Uh, here's a created language and the, there's an entire course and it's really complex, just like with a natural language, you know, maybe take a look at other people who have created languages. Maybe they can do the same thing because the work is there. Um, I really didn't have any expectations that people would learn it, especially once like they have Klingon on there. I was like, Oh, well, certainly it's not going to get as many speakers of that. I've doubled them up.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> <That's crazy. laughs> take that. Take it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So we have our other guest joining us shortly for our big Oprah moment. Uh, so I wanted to get okay. in a few questions from our Discord server before she joins us. Um, so Chad in Discord asks, what's the most challenging language that you've worked on?
4: Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. I would say the most challenging has to be Ndojusnen, which is one of the languages I created for Defiance. It's a polysynthetic language, and it's a language for uh, a race of beings, at least when they were originally conceived. Uh, had genetic modifications and didn't have constraints on things like working memory. Um, and so that means that you could do things with a language that went beyond the capabilities of human beings. Um, and it was just, it was really difficult kind of hitting that sweet spot. It was my second go at a polysynthetic language I think I did a pretty good job, but I don't think I did a great job. Um, well, you're it was only always human. It's difficult so. to work with. Yeah, <laughs> see, that's the problem. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and Chad also asked, what's a language feature you've developed that you wish could be ported to English?
4: That's an interesting question. I don't, I'm pretty good with English. I kind <laughs> of okay. like it. I kind of <laughs> like it. I think probably the best uh, feature, the, the most useful feature that I wish we could have is, um, an inclusive and an exclusive. We, in other words, that's, uh, for situations when you say like, oh, we're, oh, we're going to the club. It's like, oh really? When do we leave? It's like, oh no, we, not you.
2: Um,
4: it would be nice Mm -hmm. to have a very clear distinction right at the beginning to prevent misunderstandings. Mm -hmm.
2: Wait, do some languages have that?
4: Oh, tons of languages do. Uh, Hawaiian has it, for example, all the Polynesian languages have it. Well, I have
3: a quick piggyback question. And maybe this is more about phonics than than linguistics. Um, so I'm curious your thoughts. My daughter is six. She is really good at reading and she's starting to read. And she then uh, has thoughts in her head and is then writing them down. And she's writing everything out phonetically. And I'm looking at the paper and I am reading. I understand every single thing that she is writing. All of it is spelled wrong. And I'm yeah. looking at that and I'm like, English is the stupidest language and she's trying to sound out words and I'm like, okay, well, this letter makes a different sound because it's an exception and this letter is modified by this letter and this letter has to go here. And I'm like, this language is fucking stupid. Why do we speak it? I know why we speak it, but like, what are you said? You like English as linguistically, like why it
4: sounds, it seems
2: Matt's got beef with the English language.
4: You don't. You don't. You have to separate a language from its writing system. Okay. There are patterns of of, uh, systematicity in all writing systems. But English is is one of the worst. It's not the worst. Um, Tibetan is the worst. Mm. Uh, Tibetan is far worse. When it comes to a writing system, there's basically two poles, right? There's 100% phonetic so that you read exactly what you see and it's always pronounced exactly the way it is. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, there is 100% um, non-phonetic, which is uh, you you don't pronounce anything. Like it's just pictures, right? Mm -hmm. And all writing systems lie somewhere in, in the middle. Like Spanish, everybody says, "Oh, it's it's perfectly phonetic. You spell it just like you say." It's like, no, you don't. No, you don't. What about <laughs> what about Y versus double L? And what about silent H? It's like, oh yeah, but the, the, yeah, no, 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 no. So yeah, Spanish is not perfect. No language is perfect, and that's fine. Uh, you mostly get it. Um, English English strays a little hard, but this is um, one of the problems with that. First, um, when it comes to reading, you don't actually read the letters and sound them out. That's not how it works. You go by word shape. So you kind of recognize the shape of a word and it just immediately triggers the correct pronunciation in your head. If it's a word you're unfamiliar with, then yeah, you're going to need to sound it out a little bit and you might not know what to do with it. Most of the words that we don't know though are long and they tend to be Latinate and so you can usually sound them out pretty all right. Um, So that's not so bad. Um, it's just always weird when like you come across a word, like you've never seen before and are like, and it's like a, a, you know, Germanic origin and it's just like, what the hell is that? It's
3: fascinating to me watching a new reader come across words and she doesn't have all the word shapes yet. She's, she's looking at it like, what, what's this? I've never seen this
4: before. And it's, it's
3: really fascinating.
4: So I will say this, the, the English writing system should be taught as if it is not phonetic. I really think it should Mm. be. It should be taught something closer to like Chinese where everybody jumping in knows that, you know what, this is, you're not going to look at this and know how to pronounce it. So that's, that's one thing. Uh, Second thing, I do want to get this in there. Please take photographs of everything that your daughter spells. I I think. Oh my God. Yes. Really, really please do that and share them um, yep. online because it's very valuable for researchers oh.
3: but, um, <laughs> yeah, that you meant for like, for memories, but, uh, no. I will send you everything. <laughs> like,
2: yeah, well, it's really cool.
3: She comes home with, uh, homework around sight words, which is teaching her exactly what you described of like, look for this combination of letters and shapes and just know the word and memorize the word. That's the way to do it. I don't remember that from growing up. So maybe we are shifting educationally.
4: Uh, Do you know? I hope so. so. It depends on region because, and then it always, it feels like every 10 years it flips because some parent Read something in some magazine that doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And it'll be like, we're going to do all phonics again. God, (laughs) Lord. You know, it just happens.
1: We have one more question from our Discord server, and this one's a little out there. So let's see what Mm -hmm. you think. Chess wants to know if you found an application for your skills outside of fiction. He says, I'm thinking of the Bliss symbology system that was modified to serve as an alternative or stepping stone for those who cannot speak to be able to communicate.
4: Yeah, first. you should definitely look up the, uh, the history of that. It's, it was detailed in Erika Okren's uh, book uh, about bliss symbolics. Turns out that guy was a shit. Anyway, it um, okay. uh, happens a lot with some of these, <laughs> some of these guys. Um, that's the type of thing where it's like, I could do that. I, I, I bet I, I, I could definitely create something better than bliss symbolics that would be useful. I could create a, a language that is like ten times better than Esperanto when it comes to international communication. A thousand times better than Esperanto. I could honestly, I could throw a tomato at a wall and it'd be better than Esperanto. Man, the <laughs> Esperanto
2: speakers are coming after you. Shots uh, fired.
4: They do. They do. <laughs> anyway, but um, it, it, when it comes to things like this, it's always a matter of adoption. Uh, you know, on the one sense, you know, like licensing and adoption, I guess. That is, if you do this, then what? Who's going to do anything with it? Who's going to care? Perhaps nobody. (laughs) Nobody's asking the question. And those that do, the few that do, they don't care what language creators think. Usually they end up going to a linguist who thinks that they're doing something very good and clever but of course they've never created a language before and have absolutely no idea what they're doing and replicate a million problems that we've solved on our own
1: mm-hmm. ages ago actually i lied i have one more chad also asked if you could get the world to speak one language would you and what language would it be
4: it, it literally wouldn't matter if everybody spoke the same language it would be great if it was done by magic uh, then I would say Hawaiian because then that would mean I'd get to speak Hawaiian fluently. <laughs> but um, I really don't think that's the direction that we're heading in.
2: Magic? You don't think that's the direction? Then? You know this
4: phenomenon that we've had where things that are invented in Star Trek, it, um, they're, they basically work like magic in Star Trek. The universal translator, right? It's this magic thing that's in everybody's head in Star Trek. Uh, okay. And it just magically translates everything. We are getting there. And I'll tell you how it's going to be done. Yeah, there's like the
2: Google Pixel Buds do it, and there's some, yeah. Yes, Mm -hmm.
4: yes. And so we're getting better. And so it's going to be the point where it's not going to be the case that everybody needs to speak the same language. And it's also not going to be the case that everybody needs to speak English. Pretty soon, you can speak whatever you want, and these things are just going to get better and better. If it gets successful, we're going to stop seeing the phenomenon we see right now, where everybody feels pressured to learn English. I think it's going to stop.
2: We've gone on 3,000 tangents and I could talk to you all day, but we have someone else who wants to talk to you, though she doesn't know you're here.
1: Speaking of learning languages on Duolingo, we have somebody who's doing that just uh, right now who's with us. Uh, she just joined. Her name is menica. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for being here.
5: Thanks for having me. Yeah.
1: So you're on Duolingo right now learning which languages?
5: Uh, right now I'm learning High Valyrian and German.
1: Wow. Okay. <laughs> and why did you decide to
5: learn High Valyrian? Um, well, so my Game of Thrones journey started when all of the seven seasons came out. And after it finished, I was like really sad because I wanted more Game of Thrones input. And so um, I heard from like my friend's parents said, oh, there's High Valyrian on Duolingo. And I'm like... I already have Duolingo for German, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I might as well just use it for High Valyrian. So, like during my Christmas break of last year, I decided to um, start learning High Valyrian, and it's been really fun learning that. Because like whenever I um, listen to uh, or like watch the show, I kind of some sometimes can understand a few things, and that just is really exciting. Can we hear a little bit of it? <laughs> what does it sound like? Um, <laughs> Let's see. I mean, the only phrase I remember right now is, you know that scene where uh, Daenerys, uh, she like pretends to give away one of her dragons and she like pretends she doesn't know Valyria. Yeah. I was like, so like, Valyrio Muno, Ingos Nuez Issa. That <laughs> means Valyrian is my mother tongue. And <laughs> I might have butchered the pronunciation because that's a really hard part. Yeah. <laughs> Can you say, I'm so happy to be here on the greatest <laughs> podcast in the world, Two Girls, One Podcast. You know, I-, I can just say a bunch of gibberish and you might not even know.
1: <laughs> Good point,
2: Medica.
5: Fair. Good point.
2: You should
1: have done that and then
2: told me that's what you did after I was
1: really yeah. impressed. Yeah. Um, and Medica, how is the process going of learning like High Valyrian, particularly on Duolingo? How's that going?
5: So in Duolingo, it, they make it really simple. It's the... It's like the exact same as learning a real language. For example, I'm learning German and like I go through sentences and like try to remember vocab. And so it's a pretty much the exact same thing in High Valyrian. It's just that the pronunciation, I think, is probably the hardest part in High Valyrian because it kind of reminds me of like a lot of romance languages and, and like a mix of Arabic. And those languages are kind of hard with pronunciation sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And also, I think in Duolingo, so when I was learning it, they um didn't have like the the audio option, so I would just be reading it and I would have no idea if like if my head is saying the right thing mm-hmm. feedback
2: for the people who made it. yeah, that's good.
1: <laughs> I mean you think it's so cool that that language was created by a real linguist like that blows my mind
5: <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's kind of crazy because like if you really think about it, just like fictional languages are like the same as real languages, you know people like get these sounds and put them together and make a language and if enough people like understand it and like say, yeah, that's a, that's a language, you know, it's a language. It's now a real language.
2: Were you surprised to hear that it was so constructed like that, that a linguist like came up with the rules of the language, you know, that it isn't just like throwing some words together, that someone really figure out how to make this language function. Was that surprising yeah, to you? Yeah, that was
5: actually really surprising to me because like When I think of a fictional language, to make it the easiest sense would be just like to have it on the show, just to fill in some spots to make it seem like, you know, it's like kind of real. I was assuming like the only words in the High Valerian Dictionary would be like whatever's on the show. But then like I learned that this linguist he pretty much just like made a whole language with like a whole grammar structure that other people can learn if they want to. Do you think that he's a genius or a freak? (laughs) I think, honestly, I think he's a genius because he's got enough people. I mean, there's probably a lot of people learning Duolingo, and that's cool to, like, have, like, you made up a language and, like, so many people decided they just want to learn it. Well, it's
1: it's good that you didn't call him a freak because we do have a surprise for you. <laughs> he's actually here right now. The linguist who created Hi Valerian and Dothraki, um, David yes! J. Pearson. So he's with us. David is not our engineer, in fact.
5: <laughs> oh, wait, what? You lied to me. I thought he was the engineer. <laughs> we, we, did. Lied you. Was, we lied to him. We lied to him. I was like, why does it have to be an engineer here? But okay. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he, he's a terrible engineer. He's really, yeah, he's David, really he's failing a, us right uh, now. But
5: we hear he's pretty good with he's languages. He's a language engineer. Yeah, that's
4: right. Ritzas <laughs> raqueros.
5: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded like I <laughs>
1: <laughs> How was her pronunciation, David?
4: Oh, it's pretty good. Pretty good. You 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 use some work, but it's pretty good.
5: <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. That's like any language except English, pretty much for me.
4: That's 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 the way yeah. it always is. at The beginning. It, it, it becomes easier with time. It's gotten easier for me as I've been recording the audio for the course mm-hmm.
2: now. So, Medica, do you have any questions for the Burning God of questions. High Valerian? Oh my
1: God, this is <laughs> so much pressure. And if you <laughs> like don't, that's struck. a kind of...
5: <laughs> Yeah.
4: Where, where are you at right now? Like, where are you at in the course? I'm curious.
5: Um, I'm not that. Far because I started during my uh, winter break, and then like I had college, uh-huh. and that took up my whole life. So I was gonna start learning it again yeah. over um, the summer.
4: And you haven't gotten to the numbers one yet, have you? No, you haven't I haven't gotten that. there yet. Okay, good, because I don't want to. I'm very, that. It's
5: very <laughs> concerned about the numbers.
4: This is a nightmare. Nobody should have to learn this. Are Nobody numbers, should ever have to use this language. The,
2: do the numbers use the four genders? Is that the problem?
4: Well, they're all adjectives, so they have to agree in gender, but it's just it goes even further than that. They're all different types, and then there's, it gets even more complicated when you get to things like 14, because then there's coordination in terms of how those things work and then there's different rules about how the other thing it's just you know
2: you brought this (laughs) upon yourself right like you didn't have to do it like that and you did
4: i just didn't know i would ever have to actually use them i mean i don't even think i use like a single number and and throughout the entire course of translating stuff for game of thrones not for high valyrian anyway funny incidentally for episode one of this past season i used numbers for dothraki it was like how many how many today and I, it was like eleven goats and three sheep. So I translated that, sent it back, and then for whatever reason, they decided, like, "Oh no, that's, that's an unrealistic set of numbers." They changed it to like, 18 goats and 12 sheep <laughs> in the subtitles, without no. changing the Dothraki.:
2: <laughs> Oh no! That's so but frustrating. I was,
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, If no. Menica had gotten to the numbers row, she why? would have picked up on that. Somebody <laughs> yeah. on Twitter
3: picked up on it. That's oh, why really? I knew about <laughs> it.
4: Oh, there you go. Yeah. He
1: yeah, was, was like
4: spot on.
2: I was going to ask, I assume that you can't go on Twitter anymore, can you?
4: <laughs> I, I occupy a strange neutral position in all of these shows. So anytime people are not happy with the show, I don't get... The, I don't get any of it. But if they are happy with the show, I get nice compliments. Excellent. It's just delightful.
2: That's great.
4: <laughs> so, Minica, when you get to the section on numbers, I am sorry. Um, <laughs> and actually, when you get to the section on family members, have you gotten there yet?
5: Um, wait, wasn't that in the first part? Wasn't. Yeah. In the basics one? Yeah. I've gone there. Well,
4: oh, no, wait. Oh, no, 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 no. Not that. Not those. Not those. No, no, no. The full section on family members.
5: Oh, no, I haven't gone there.
4: Yeah. When you get there, I'm double sorry. <laughs> um, it was such a cool system I came up with. And then I was like, oh, now I have to accept all possible translations of this. This is a nightmare.
5: When I get to them, I'll, I'll think about it.
4: Just just out of curiosity, you do know there's audio now, right?
5: Yeah. I know there. Okay. Yeah, I know there is now, but um, when I first started, I don't think there was.
4: No, there wasn't yeah. because I didn't put it there.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that just made it that much harder to like learn because I was like, I don't exactly know how I'm supposed to pronounce these.
4: Really? Like for me, like when I'm studying languages, I don't even care. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I mean, I can see it.
5: I mean, yeah, I didn't pronounced. care. But then I, then I would like listen to the show. I'm like, oh, that doesn't sound like what's in my head.
4: True. Yeah,
5: yeah, that sounds
2: impossible without
5: audio. I always hear like, shit in my head. Am I the only one who hears things in my head? Yeah. <laughs> is, that, is that a separate problem? Like sidebar? Yeah. It depends on what's your, what you're hearing. Right.
4: Right. Anyway, though, well, I'm glad I'm glad you're you're taking the course and hopefully enjoying it. I know that, you know, at least you're enjoying it for now when you get to family (laughs) members, maybe not so much.
1: Yeah. And Menica, when you learn a decent amount of
5: Hyvalyrian, who are you going to talk to? Do you have plans like for practicing somehow? Honestly, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to like go to random places in college and just, like, start saying stuff, I think. Yeah,
4: nice. (laughs) Starbucks.
5: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I have a Starbucks on campus, so I'll just, like, go there and just, like, start talking to the cashier in High Valyrian. Oh, but I'm
2: the crazy (laughs) one who hears things. All right, we'll see how
1: that
5: goes.
2: You get back to us.
1: I shall. I shall. Well, thank you, Meneka, for joining us, and thank you, David. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with both of you. Um, I wish I knew how to say thank you in High (laughs) Valyrian.
4: que go
1: ahead.
4: que I heard one trill. I liked it.
5: Yeah. Yeah, I need, a, I need to work on my trills.
1: So, you guys gonna learn High Valyrian? What do you think?
2: Uh, no, I really love talking to him, but no, I'm not going to. There's no, no fucking chance. John, have even you just... started Esperanto? No, uh, I didn't no. think so. I no. didn't think Good so. Good point. Good point. <laughs> I loved learning languages when I used to you know, in college when I would learn them. It yeah. makes me sad that I've forgotten. I know, so
1: me too. Me too. Ali, what languages do you speak?
2: I can get by in basic Spanish. <laughs> yeah. My Hebrew was never fluent, but it used to be like proficient where I remember I was having like an ideological debate with some settlers in the West Bank. And I remember thinking, I don't agree with what they're saying, but I'm so excited that I understand all of it. <laughs> now my Hebrew is like pretty shitty and it's really frustrating. Yeah. Um. And then I used to know some basic Arabic too. Oh, well, yeah. specifically Egyptian colloquial. I could say like all the basic stuff in terms of like getting around, explaining why I was there, yada, yada. But you know, I haven't used any of this in like a decade. <laughs> yeah. So it's I, gone now.
1: You speak I've, French. You speak I speak French. Matt, what do you got? You're Spanish?
3: No, I got nothing. <laughs> oh, Barely right. English.
1: All right. Well, then you you are the one, Matt. You need to take one for the team and get Duolingo <laughs> and learn High Because
3: it's not about time. It's about the amount of languages that you already know. That's right. And that's filling right. that space they in. You already put okay, in the yes. time,
1: actually. Jen and I
2: mean, are in <laughs> agreement. So, put I mean,
3: I took the time and well, probably Spanish and Italian maybe in college, but like Italian, I was so you don't bad at it. No, I was really, really bad at it. Yeah,
2: maybe you should have gone to class.
3: I should, yeah, I shouldn't have slept through class. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
3: I'm a terrible student, and I'm like, I'm bad at this, so it's yeah. it's stupid. I'm not, co- I'm not coming.
1: Yeah, one thing we forgot to ask David is who gets the the Iron Throne, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He but- must know. He definitely knows
2: I think Everyone's gonna die And there's just gonna be Like a brand new character At the end Who like appears And takes it (laughs) It's gonna be like Really underwhelming
3: Harry Potter just pops up And is like Hey
2: Fuck yes That won't be Underwhelming at all I'm in Maybe Hagrid Just magic's his way there I'm in (laughs) Anyway uh, That interview was long I loved it I don't have too much More to say
1: I thought the Discord questions this week were phenomenal. <laughs> so,
2: yep. well done! Clapping hands so, emoji. Yeah. Check out our Discord. You have to go to
1: discord.gg/2g1p, and then we're chatting over there. That's right. And we always want to hear from you, as you guys know, in in many forms. So please find us on Twitter. I'm at Junebugger.
2: I'm at Ali Gold. Tell us your favorite language to curse in. <laughs>
1: You can email us at 2g1podcast at gmail.com and you can call us and leave us a voicemail in whatever language you would like. Um, and that phone number is 347-871-6548. That number again,
0: 347 871
1: 6 And Allie, if they want to contribute to the show, how do they do it?
2: Once again, you can go to patreon.com slash 2g1p. There are several tiers at which you can contribute and we hope that you will consider doing so.
1: All right, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoy this uh, this episode and this week's Game of Thrones and uh, we'll see you next week
0: Two Girls One podcast is hosted by Jennifer Jamula and Allison Goldberg and forged from Valerian steel I mean produced and edited by Matt Silverman in New York City production assistance is provided by the podglomerate this show is a production of the Daily Dot the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the internet
4: The Pod A Sonic
3: Universe.
1: Defunct magic markers. <laughs>